I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. Oh, yeah. Hello. Hey. Listen. Listen. Today has been kind of, this whole week I feel like has been just like kind of a whirlwind week. It's going to be a whirlwind until you get married. Yes. We're about a week out. You know, yeah, V stressful. How am I doing mentally, physically, spiritually? Not, not great. Good. You know, not good. I mean, you look stunning as Thank always. Thank you so much. <laughs> I appreciate that. I had to run an errand today and did not want to do my hair. So I uh, put this lovely head wrap on. Just You always just look flawless. Just what can cover I say? it right up, you know? Yeah, but I mean, hey, that's like, that's the beauty of wearing something over your head when you have a bad hair day. Like in the winter, I can just put all my hair in a beanie and be like, done. Yeah, and when you have curly hair, you really have very limited options because it's not like you can just put a hat on. Yeah. Because that doesn't always pan out well for you. (laughs) Like if you have curly hair, it's like it's real hit or miss. Yeah, it'd be maybe a little puffy in there. There's some prep involved to wear a hat. I feel like, you know, there's some gel. You got to do it while it's wet. It's a whole process. <laughs> Something I will never understand, but I've always really wanted curly hair. I know we've talked about this before, but I've always been really jealous that my dad has like perfectly curly hair and I do not. Well, you know, Madigan, here's how I feel about that. I think that you should perm your hair once, just yeah. once in your life. Give it a shot. Uh-huh. Let me know how you feel. I actually would love to. My old boss got a perm and she like rocked it. So yeah, I'm like, maybe not? I would be great with it, but... Um, my Perms hair is get a really bad rap, but actually I think that there's a time and place. Yeah. My mom got a perm maybe like five or six years ago and it was beautiful. Like, I mean, she had longer hair at the time and it was like, it was really pretty. I liked it. But that I remember like my friends who have had perms being like, I have to learn how to do my hair. 
Yes. Yeah, no, I have bangs now. Uh, yeah, they're so cute. Thank you so much. Uh, but that is a thing. It's like you, if you wake up and you don't do anything, curly bangs, mm-hmm. oh, a nightmare. They stick up all over the place. It's like I have to actually like actively like wake up and like wet them down and like brush them out and like yeah. put product in them if I'm going to wear them or else I just throw it all up, all up behind a head wrap. I used to, and like this is so not what's in the news, but when I was in high school, I would sometimes uh, wash just my bangs in the sink so that sure. like if the rest of my hair was kind of dirty, you would always really see it with your shorter like hair and your bangs in the front. So I would like put my hair back in a ponytail and I had those like long side bangs, you know, that everybody had. Oh, yeah. Emo um, bangs. Great. Oh, yeah. They were. Oh, my God. I either had straight across bangs or I had the side bangs like my whole life until I was probably like 20. Um, but I remember like washing my just my bangs in the sink to make sure that they looked good or else they'd be like super piecey and greasy looking and awful. You know, though, I do not regret getting bangs because here's the thing. I can't afford Botox yet. <laughs> and uh, bangs, great alternative. Great that's, alternative for the forehead. You know, That's what people would say about um, bangs with pimples when I was younger. Yeah. They'd be like, oh, if I just like get bangs, it's going to cover up the zits on my forehead. Mysterious. Cover up that upper half of your face. Exactly. Okay. Should we actually get into some news? Yes. Let's, let's do, do it. it. Okay. So the thing that I have first to talk about, I do actually have something very uplifting to talk about at the close. Uh, Perfect. And we did get another 9-11 story to share. We did. But the first thing that I would like to talk about is the crisis at the border that's happening right now. Again, I feel like these conversations are kind of on repeat, but this time it is with Haitian migrants uh, at the border. So Haiti is currently in the midst of a social and political crisis. The country is currently destabilized due to the assassination of its president and a major earthquake that, you know, we haven't talked too much about, but there was a major earthquake in Haiti in August and it killed more than 2000 people. Yeah. So an estimated 12,000 Haitian immigrants have created a migrant camp at the U.S.-Mexico border near Del Rio, Texas, in hopes of seeking asylum in the United States. Mm -hmm. So U.S. border patrols were not equipped to handle this many people, and so they are quickly running out of resources. Uh And because of this, there have been some migrants who have chosen to cross back over into Mexico in order to get food and other supplies, And when they attempted to cross back into Texas, some of them were stopped by mounted border agents on horseback who were filmed using very physically aggressive tactics, like whipping the migrants um, who were trying to cross in the water. Now, if you look at some of these things on Instagram, it's it's very disturbing. It's incredibly upsetting. I mean, all of the images are incredibly upsetting, but there will also be disclaimers that say that they were not being whipped because whips weren't being used. Because uh, you'll see those like fact check kind yeah. of things that pop up, which I'm grateful that those exist on, right, so- on social right. media. However, I clicked on that because I was like, oh, well, I don't want to be spreading information that's false. And basically they're saying that it's false information because they weren't using whips. They were using reins, the reins of their their. So it was the specifics of with what they were whipping. Yeah, but they were still hitting people. Yeah, it's right? still like we're get, we're kind of nitpicking. There. Yeah, the imagery is still 
It's barbaric. It's just, it's very upsetting. Yeah. So obviously this imagery horrified people. And the last that I saw, um, Biden's press secretary was not able to give an answer as to what was happening there. Mm -hmm. Uh, She basically said like, obviously we can't defend that imagery. We don't know what was going on. I don't have any information. I can't really like give you any information about that right now. Right. Uh, I haven't seen that they've said anything else. I don't know how, if, if this is policy, how did it become policy? If it's right. not policy, uh, what's how is it happening? Yeah. With the people who were, were doing that. Um, the Biden administration has decided to use a Trump era COVID policy to fly thousands of Haitians back to Haiti. So rather than offering a lot of people asylum in the United States, they're sending them back. Right. And they're saying basically like, because of COVID, we can't risk it, which to me feels very like, Oh, our hands are tied. Sorry. Yeah. Yet we have like huge events and concerts and all, you know, yeah, that seems like a very like, handy excuse to use right now right i mean especially when you look at the context of why haitians are seeking asylum and why they are seeking asylum in the united states specifically right so back in may which mind you was before the assassination of the haitian president Uh um, or the earthquake the United States Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas said that the people of Haiti were facing major, quote, security concerns, social unrest, an increase in human rights abuses, crippling poverty, and lack of basic resources, which were exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic. And so the U.S. announced an 18-month temporary protective status for Haitians already residing in the United States. Mm -hmm. So many of those who are currently at the border are trying to reunite with family members that reside in and are protected by the United States. Uh So instead of calling it what it is, which is a humanitarian crisis that's happening right now, the Biden administration has instead decided to call it irregular migration. (laughs) We're saying irregular migration of Haitian migrants at the border of U.S., and Mexico. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's making it sound very, very nice. Right, of course. Yeah, it's very political. It's a very yeah. diplomatic term. It's not happening as it regularly would, which could mean a number of different yeah, you're things. Yeah, like, whoa, <laughs> look at this. That's weird, right? Yeah. It's super oh weird. Uh, and so they've said that they are looking into addressing the root causes of this irregular migration, whatever that means. So it, essentially, they're, they're just saying that we... I think they're trying to say that they want to get to the bottom of like why or how this is happening. But we know why it's happening. Right. But without really like saying that it's their fault or that, you know what I mean? Like they don't want to have to immediately say that they did something wrong. So they're saying we're going to investigate what happened and so on and so forth. Right. Is my guess. Yes. Uh, And of course there are a lot of, agencies a lot of people who are very upset about the way that this is going down there's a lot of human rights um organizations especially in miami specifically uh who have decided to hold protests in miami they actually shut down some major intersections and highways uh with protests in favor of the haitian migrants because When you look at, again, I mean, I feel like we come back to this all the time. When you look at the imagery of what's happening, you're seeing children, you're seeing whole families. Yeah. And they're in this 
really scary situation Mm -hmm. that no person would put themselves through unless they were desperate unless they were desperate yeah then you're going to put them on a plane and send them right back to haiti yeah so they are receiving a lot of criticism patrice lawrence leads a group called undocu black which advocates for undocumented black people in the united states and she wrote for cnn that by the that the Biden administration should be distinguishing itself from the Trump administration and allowing for a more orderly asylum process rather than flying Haitians back to Haiti. So she said, quote, the Biden administration could have made a strong statement in favor of due process and dignity by allowing for an orderly asylum process. Instead, it has opted for mass expulsions of vulnerable people. Yeah, using a Trump era anything is really not a good look for Biden, especially when he's spoken so against everything with the Trump administration as he should. So it just seems really hypocritical that he would be like using the same tactics. Right. But I mean, I think it also for him, it probably feels like if you do this, then you can kind of shirk responsibility because you can say, well, it wasn't my pot. We were just going off of an existing policy. Right. It's not anything that I put into place. Right. Then that's taking the easy way. Of course. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's not not wanting to put in the work. And in fact, there's a lot, a lot of shit that Biden has said and done in the 80s and 90s is coming back to bite him in the fucking ass. Like we talked about that with the 9-11 episodes. Um, but also he has said, he has said in the past, like basically like Haiti doesn't matter to us. Yeah. Like to the United States, Haiti doesn't matter. There's nothing to get from Haiti at this point. Right. Uh, they, I think his they quote, there's was, no like political interest with Haiti. I wish I could remember exactly what he said, but it was something along the lines of like Haiti could be swallowed up by the ocean and it would make no difference to Great. the United States. So that's what our president thinks. Um, Politicians. Very cool. Let's cool. count to 10 and think before we speak. Like, let's just consider how our words may have repercussions or you know what oh say God. it though. you know what the where i'm at is like i'm like you know what say it i want to know exactly where you stand on this because you actually do not care about human beings yeah you care about abstract ideas about what nations and people could mean or benefit yeah your nation That's politics, or baby. yourself personally and that is politics and i think we need to disassociate ourselves from this romantic notion that politics is anything else other than that you know like exactly or that politics as we've known it thus far it can be something different but but nobody's wanting to do anything different and that was our whole issue with president biden in the first place yeah you know yeah are you ready to shop rakuten's big give week is back Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. 
And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. All right, well, I... I kind of want to touch on the, I guess, like the news story of the moment right now, mm-hmm. and that is the disappearance and then um, murder of Gabby Petito. Mm-hmm. There's been so many different conversations started online surrounding this case, and I think that it's a good thing for us to discuss. So Gabby Petito was born uh, in Blue Point, New York, and met her future fiancé, Brian. I think it's Laundry, and I don't care about this motherfucker, so I'm going to call him Brian. Doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, While attending Bayport Blue Point High School in Suffolk County on Long Island, Gabby graduated high school in 2017 and began dating Brian in March of 2019. That same year, they began living together with Brian's parents in Northport, Florida. The couple then got engaged in July of 2020. On July 2nd, 2021, Gabby and Brian left Blue Point in a 2012 Ford Transit Connect van converted into a camper for a four-month cross-country trip. They documented their adventures to Gabby's YouTube channel, Normatic Static, as well as their Instagram accounts. And their Instagram accounts are still up and it is eerie, unless that's changed within a couple of days. Both Gabby and Brian's Instagrams are still up Mm -hmm. and active. On August 12th, a witness called 911, claiming that a couple was fighting in front of a Moonflower Community Cooperative in Moab, Utah. In the call, the witness stated that Brian slapped Gabby. The two were then running up and down the sidewalk, after which Brian hit Gabby again and again before driving off. In the witness's written statement, he wrote that Gabby and Brian were talking aggressively and Gabby was punching him in the arm. The statement also said that it appeared Brian was trying to leave Gabby and take her phone with him before Gabby eventually climbed into the driver's seat, then slid into the passenger seat and said to Brian, why do you have to be so mean? Then the van drove off. So this is kind of the beginning of where we're seeing this initial report it's making it seem like Gabby is the aggressor in the situation. So there really isn't that I d- much. I don't feel that way because he slapped her. 
Yes, but... I mean, she was punching him as well, but, like, who's to say what happened first? Right, but, like, the witness statements and everything like that, the way that the police took it when they came in, like, yes, he had, like, shoved her and things like that, but the reports were coming that she was, like, slapping him, and he was trying to get in the van to, like, create some space, and she had, like, some separation anxiety, they said, and so she, like, followed him. Well, the dude... Okay, but this is what really happened. He was being manipulative, took her phone, was threatening to like leave her and abandon her and get in the van. Of course, she's going to chase after right. him. And be this like, is, no, please don't leave this me. This is a toxic relationship. Yes, like, look, exactly. anybody, especially in your early 20s, your teens into your early 20s. I, I think I have if you made it out of your early 20s without having a toxic codependent relationship, count yourself lucky because I feel like most people have been in that situation. And so I I don't know. To me, that's very reminiscent of what that is. Like, of course, her saying like, you don't have to be so mean means that there are layers to, to this relationship. Yes. Um, that this is a buildup that of we don't multiple know. events. Right, yeah. Right, and, and Brian does tell the officer, and there is like the full hour and 17 long body cam footage on YouTube. I haven't seen the whole thing, but I kind of fast forwarded through parts and watched uh, certain parts of the interview that the police officers on the scene did with the two uh, people, Gabby and Brian. And at the end of it, they decided that Brian would go to a hotel for the night And Gabby would sleep in the van and take it somewhere. And she's really concerned at the end of this video, like, please don't take him far. Like, if I have to get him, I'm not used to driving the van. Like, she's crying the whole time. She sounds like a girl in her early 20s. Like, I... Well, and she's also now being left alone, too. And I think that she's so... In an unfamiliar situation. And she's so attached to this Brian Laundry guy. You know what I mean? So, And she's saying, no, I don't want to press charges. We love each other. We're engaged. All this kind of stuff. I also want to say, I mean, you all know where we stand. We've said it multiple times on this podcast. We've had domestic violence episodes on this podcast. Uh, Don't hit your partner. I don't care who you are. Like, woman, man don't hit your partner. <laughs> like we're, we're obviously not saying that that's okay. Right. But I also think that there are times when that is almost like a sign of how desperate she actually is to be like slapping him and trying to get him. Like, I'm not saying that's right. Nobody should ever hit anybody. But I think in this circumstance, it shows that the type of relationship they had and how physical violence was part of that relationship. So let's talk a little bit about her disappearance. According to staff, Gabby stayed at the Fairfield by Marriott Hotel near Salt Lake City International Airport. She had told her mom that they were traveling from Salt Lake to Yellowstone National Park, and mom had last communicated with Gabby via FaceTime around August 24th, they say. On August 26th, the final post was made on Gabby's Instagram, but texts continued to be sent from Gabby's phone to her mom until August 30th, and people are speculating, obviously, that this wasn't actually Gabby sending the messages, especially because there was one message that was sent on August 27th that said, can you help Stan? I just keep getting his voicemails and missed calls. Stan is her grandfather, and she never called her grandfather by her first name, so this immediately brought up red flags for her mom. The last text was sent on August 30th saying no service in Yosemite. Then 
Brian just like shows up back in Florida with the van without Gabby on September 1st. And then Gabby's family reported her missing finally on September 11th. So I don't know what was going on between the 1st and the 11th where they maybe just thought that they were still together. They were wondering why Gabby hadn't contacted them. I don't know. But the investigation from there began, and the police seized the van from the Laundry family home, and crime scene techs found an external hard drive. Uh, Brian Laundry was named a person of interest on the 15th, and he and his parents refused to speak to the Petito family still. Uh, They immediately lawyered up. They've kept their mouths shut. They won't speak to, obviously, any of the press or anything like that, but they won't even talk to Gabby's family, which is so upsetting because she lived with them. Like, the girl that was going to be their daughter-in-law lived with them, and they can't have any respect to contact the family. So that's one thing that people have been... Well, yeah, I mean, they obviously knew that he had done something. Like, yeah. you don't do that unless... It, of course you You were that. alone with her for yeah. four to five months, and you come home without her. Obviously, you have something to do with it's this. It's not like if that was my son, I'd be like, oh, well... Like, you know. And if something tragic happened, he would be coming back and being like, oh, my God... I lost the love or of my life or like prior to this. Yeah. Like nobody drives all like that entire distance. Like for people who are not in the United States, like that is thousands of miles. Like that is it's yeah. so many miles. Nobody is, is traveling yeah. that distance. Utah all the way down. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, protesters began showing up at the laundry home on the 17th holding a candlelight vigil for Gabby and on that same day the laundry family reported their son Brian a missing person so now Brian he's on the lamb he's run away now this story I, and I don't mean this in a callous way but it has everything in the eyes of this like true crime loving crazy world that we live in And unfortunately, a lot of people on social media have taken this uh, case and made it like their opportunity to like be in the next Netflix documentary or be the one that's like getting the cutting edge stuff. And I've seen a lot of really, really icky things on social media regarding that. And it's really, really upsetting to me that people are like we're watching a real true crime story play out live everybody like isn't this exciting i I think it's really putting into perspective and as two people who you know participate in and absorb true crime whether it be uh via podcasts or or shows or whatever else i think it has begun this discussion of how ethical is that really you know what i mean and yeah Listen, I have a whole other podcast where we have an entire segment where we talk about relationships and oftentimes they are true crime related. Yeah. You know, so I'm not I'm not at all saying that I'm above any of this. No, I, not I am at all. saying, though, that like I do think that the conversation is worth having about yes. our consumption. Yeah. Of of true crime and how we're way. responding to it. Like, I feel like we're becoming desensitized to some Absolutely. of these really disgusting stories because the reason not to say that her case de- didn't deserve attention. Every case deserves attention. Of course. Yeah, and that's the other part of the problem. Deserves but. attention. But the way that attention was put on her case, it felt very desensitized. It felt yes. very much like hunt a killer, People right? Like want, it felt, couldn't wait to find out the next little detail, what was going to happen next. And it became very sensationalized. It, right? Yeah. Which, which it, it's a double edged sword. Well, right? and I was going to say like, you've watched the Cecil hotel documentary, right? On Netflix. No, 
but I know of it. Yes. Okay. Well, it's great. I don't know why you haven't watched it. That's like crazy to me. But um, there's like a whole part of it that's about like the web sleuths and how invested they get in this story and how they actually like they almost caused this man to end his life. Like they, well, they I mean, infringed the on the problem. investigation. Like there are it's, so many the, problems the problem with is, it. It's a double edged sword. The yeah. problem is that because there have also been instances where crimes would not have been solved without the the publicity and the intervention right. of the internet and other people because our justice system is so fucked up. Well, here, right? So like there are both things that happen. However, speaking to what you just said, this case got attention because it fit a very specific mold. It was a very highly visible, meaning a large social media following, uh-huh. um, young, beautiful, white, blonde woman yep. living hashtag van life. Yep. And it was also a, a relationship situa- scenario, yeah. which is always considered like a, a quote unquote, like interesting or sexy kind yeah, of like, like the husband did it. The boyfriend did it. That right. kind of thing. It, it yeah. gets people invested in a way that yes. like other people going missing and having maybe less details or being less visible. Isn't going to be as interesting to people. And that's fucked up. Yes. I want to talk about that, but first I want to go back to the first thing you said and how social media can somehow sometimes help investigations because there are a few instances where social media did help. On September 19th, Jen and Kyle Bethune, who have a YouTube channel called Red, White, and Bethune, uh, posted dash cam footage from August 27th, which shows a van matching the description of Gabby and Brian's, also seen near Grand Teton National Park, um, which was where um, another person on TikTok says that they reportedly picked him up hitchhiking on August 29th near Grand Teton National Park. I don't know why these people have a dash cam video with this available. That seems kind of strange to me that they're just like everyday well, I don't people. Know. Are they like... Like, are they van life people as well? Or are they just... Maybe. I mean, I didn't look up what their YouTube channel is. Because so that's like having has, a ring camera if you're living in your van. That's a good point. A- I didn't even think about that. Um, they said that they had shot the video initially because they were excited to see fellow Florida travelers. So actually, I just answered well, my weird. own question. Forgot I think, that I, I said that. that's weirder, actually. Like, yeah, like, that's even I'm weirder. I'm going to turn my camera on because there's a Florida license plate. Like, that's strange. Yeah. But and, okay. And what's really crazy is that the same day that video came out, the red, white, and Bethune video came out. Um, human remains were found in Bridger Teton National Forest that matched Gabby Petito's description. And on September 21st, the Teton County coroner confirmed that the remains were that of Gabby Petito and her death was ruled a homicide. So first I want to talk about something that you just discussed, which I was reading called uh, Missing White Women Syndrome which is the overemphasis in the media coverage of individuals based on their race and background. Many also drew attention to the fact that roughly 710 indigenous people have been reported missing between 2011 and 2020 in Wyoming, according to the Missing and Murdered Indigenous People Task Force. Which, by the way, we have an episode on that. Somebody exactly. uh, shared it on Instagram. Uh-huh. We shared it to our story. So if you want to go back and find that, you can search for that episode. Uh, Very relevant to this case. Gabby's body was found eight days after she was reported missing. And according to the same report that I mentioned earlier, 11% of missing indigenous people were found within a day. 50% were found within a week and 21% were missing for 30 days or longer. Only 11% of white people remained missing for that 30 day period compared to the rest of 
those statistics. So it does go to show you the media and law enforcement's urgency when it comes to a missing white woman who has a social media following well, and who has a certain has has a very digestible and interesting story rather than highlighting the hundreds upon hundreds of missing indigenous people. When was the it's last not as sexy. Time, when was the last time you saw a highly publicized case of a missing person of color? Of a missing person of color, honestly. Can you think of one? Only because people have been highlighting missing people of color on Instagram since this case Wait, I've been seeing it, but count, before that. That doesn't, that, that doesn't count because it's being highlighted because of this. Like, yeah. it only is being highlighted because of this. Yeah. The media would not pick it up if it was anything else. There is right. there is no that I can think of right now. Yeah. I cannot think of a single organic instance Mm-mm. of a person not of, of color a case going that missing. became like public knowledge like or this. a media frenzy or no. anything like that. And a that's true the crime thing. sensation. I right. have not. No, no. I've very, very recently started listening to more and more podcast episodes where there was crime against indigenous people. And I'm glad that those stories are beginning to be told more and more often because I feel like there's this otherness, much like it is with many other minority groups that people feel, especially in their true crime stories, that needs to change because it's not always just going to be the big ones that the media latches onto. There are so many people that need to have the same attention put on their case as Gabby Petito did, you know? Right. I mean, and the the thing is I I end up feeling very like cynical because, and, and then I feel guilty because of course she deserves attention of course right, and her I family don't, deserves to have peace like yeah I don't begrudge the fact that like people are interested in this case I don't begrudge the fact that like people on the internet maybe helped helped this case gain traction and helped her family find um some peace like I think that that's amazing that that happened right but I just think it becomes exhausting whenever it's like Time after time, this is so predictable. Yeah. But this will happen. And, and you know, if anything else good can come from this, I hope it is that the cases that are now being talked about, because there are, you know, I think three or four cases that have been brought up recently uh, of people of color, both men and women of color, who have gone missing right. in that same time frame. Uh, I hope that their cases can gain some traction because of this. Yeah. Um, again, not at all like what happened to Gabby Petito is it's horrifying no but but it does start it needs I mean I think that these things do need to start a broader conversation or else we're not doing it justice you know what I mean so it's not horrifying and sad and yeah it's not taking away from that experience which is why I think it's important to talk about there is a bit of an update the latest is that the U.S. District Court of Wyoming has issued a federal arrest warrant for Brian after a grand jury indicted him for the use of unauthorized devices FBI special agent in charge Michael Schneider said in a statement statement while the arrest warrant allows law enforcement to arrest Mr. Laundry, the FBI and our partners across the country continue to investigate the facts and circumstances of Miss Petito's homicide, which to me goes to show that like we had to arrest the guy and get him in like and they still can't find him, but they at least have a warrant out for his arrest. They can bring him in. They can ask him questions and all this kind of stuff. And the indictment says that he used a debit card and pin number for accounts that did not belong to him for charges over a thousand dollars between the dates of August 3rd and September 1st. Very, very suspicious. Well, I hope they find him. You know, I hope they do too. He's a walking bag I hope of he's red alive. Flags. I hope, 
I hope, I hope, I hope he's alive. That's the one thing that always makes me nervous is that people will take another way out to not have to face the punishment for the crime they've committed. And I want, and people, the family deserves answers. Everybody yeah. who's been through this deserves answers of what happened to their loved one. But you know what? So I that think that can the be answers hard. are going to be unsatisfying no matter what it is. Because yes, but at least there's it, closure. It sounds like an abusive relationship. Oh my God. It was probably something really fucking stupid. You know, like it, that, that happened. Oh no, the circumstances I'm sure are, are not important. But I also think that like, having him alive and have to like face what face he did. justice yeah. face what he did say what he did yeah. you know confess anything like that I think will if anything of course nothing is ever going to bring their child back nothing is ever going to truly bring closure but just from the stories that I've heard I know that like any information you can get depending on the person and what information they want that can help put that part of their life to rest a bit and knowing that they they were able to know what happened to their daughter or their friend or yeah. their sister. Uh, in the show notes for this or or on our Instagram, I will be sure to post pictures and details about other people who are currently missing um, because we would love to raise awareness for those people as well. We want to make sure that this isn't a, a situation where those people are being forgotten um, yeah. because that is so often the case. But our thoughts are with Gabby Petito's family as well, for Definitely. sure. Okay, so I do have some good news here. Thank goodness. <laughs> so in York, Pennsylvania, um, last year following the protests, the Black Lives Matter uprisings, um, the Central York School District's Diversity Committee mm-hmm. decided to put together a list of books and other resources for teachers and students that could be used to supplement classroom lessons. We saw this. Everyone was like, what can we do? How can we amplify black and brown voices, right? Uh, And so they included a list for elementary school level books about Martin Luther King, uh, Rosa Parks, Malala, all of these things by like people of color, a range of works. However, of course, there was backlash to this, right? All of the uprisings and people having kind of like political feelings about that. And then also the uh, backlash to critical race theory being taught in schools, which is basically just saying, hey, uh, this is the truth about the history of racism in this country. Exactly. uh, And the role of colonization and white people within that. Yeah. Right. It has people really in their feelings. And so one of the parents on the diversity committee told Newsweek that that there's this book, right? It's called I Am Human, A Book of Empathy. And on the cover of it, it has a black kid as the illustration. And this parent said that a school board member saw the cover and asked if the school board would balance the book out by teaching kids to be empathetic towards police. Oh. So... Oh, right. So the president of the school board here, Jane Johnson, she said that a significant portion of parents had objected to these new materials. uh, So the school board voted to freeze all of the items on the list. It's it's a ban. It's a book Mm -hmm. ban. They won't Mm -hmm. call it that. Um, They're calling it a freeze. But but that's what it is. They are banning these books. It meant that they would not be available to students. Right. Uh, 
So she went on to say that the materials were a problem because parents felt that they were, quote, promoting unequal treatment of individuals on immutable characteristics. So basically, yeah, saying, it's like we can't raise other like minorities up because then we're diminishing r- white right, people. <laughs> right. It was saying that the books about civil rights and diversity made white people feel bad. So we had to get rid of them. Tough nuggies. Right. That's what I say. Tough Noogies, feel bad. You should feel bad. A recent school board meeting um, where one parent said that the local community is, quote, 100 percent against a critical race theory indoctrination agenda. Oh, so whatever she thought that that was. And then another said that signed me up. (laughs) Grateful for the school school board ban freezing all of these terrible books uh, because, quote, I don't want my daughter growing up feeling guilty because she's white. And let me tell you, these books I'm telling you, they're like basic. They're like inspirational books. I was going to say, when you started talking about that, there's this little book that I love for like babies, like zero to three year olds called This Little Dreamer, an inspirational primer. They're the sweetest. It's like stories about like Martin Luther King Jr. and Ruth Bader Ginsburg about how like she grew up doing this and then she became this. It's all like really inspirational things. It's not it's not like a historical text. It's not anything that's super heavy, which would be, you know, more for older children. Right. We're talking about like picture books. Yes. For, I mean, in the elementary schools, we're talking about like picture books. Right. Of the story of, of, of Rosa Parks. Right. And one of the things you said about like empathy that right. has nothing to do with critical race theory inherently. It just happens to have a black kid on the cover. So right. we need to, it, obviously it's political, right? Uh. Um, the list of banned books includes not only the children's books, which we just discussed, but it also um, included academic journals, CNN's Sesame Street Town Hall on Racism. What? And the 2016 documentary about James Baldwin called I Am Not Your Negro, which yeah. is an incredible documentary. It's an documentary. incredible documentary. Uh, all of those are, are part of the things that would no longer be available to students. So I'm happily. sorry, are we, like, this is fascism at right? its finest. My God. Here's you said where, this was uplifting. Yes, here's where the story turns around. Oh, my God. Happily, a lot of kids attending Central York High School, they weren't buying into this. So they decided to start their own protest, essentially. Uh-huh. And they started holding daily demonstrations outside of the school. Five students at the first one and then more, and eventually hundreds of kids in a group that called themselves the Panther Anti-Racist Union. Yes, they did! Because the school mascot happened to be the Panthers, <gasps> but also hilarious. Oh my god, I was gonna say it. that's so poignant, especially because like the Black Panthers exactly. did so, so you know. much for school, and like they did a lot of the same about like with education. Mm-hmm and making sure that oh. but you know that people freaked out they oh I love the it Panthers, freak right? them out uh, and one of the student activists Edna Gupta said our thoughts are being invalidated there's only one portion of the community that this ban represents and it's not ours uh huh <laughs> so the student protest not only roused a large number of Central York parents who actually want their children to learn about this yeah because genuinely we are in the majority. Yes. It's, the dissenting like voices are just very loud. Right. Exactly. Uh, but also one of the children's authors, Brad Meltzer, flew up from Miami to speak to the school board and air his complaints. Fantastic. And at a school board meeting on Monday evening, the board voted unanimously to unfreeze all of the materials on the list and to make them available again. Ben Hodge, a Central York uh, a Central York High theater teacher who advises student protesters 
told um of course it was a theater of teacher course. let me just interject there of if course anybody yeah. was organizing the student protest He's like yes it was the drama teacher 100 so, <laughs> percent. he told them on monday night that the young activists quote are heroes and should be celebrated as bastions Aww. of american freedom and democracy i want to be clear these kids did this yeah they did they did this that mm-hmm. is oh i'm so glad you brought it all home because i was like this shit fucking sucks what are you saying no like i oh. love it because it's just like listen I, I really think that that story is so important because when you feel powerless because you feel like all of these voices are being very loud and you feel like the adults in charge on the school board or what have you um are exercising their power and kind of flexing their muscle just yeah. know that like you have power too and there's power in numbers and actually we outnumber them so yeah exercise your power yep i agree Well, I know that we have been chatting for quite a while. I'm not looking at the time, but we do have some other uh, things to get to. So I would love to read the story from our listener about her 9-11 story. Hello, I'm just getting caught up on my pods from the week and was listening to Monday's part one of 9-11 More on Terror. I was 21 years old in college living in a dorm on campus on 9-11-01. Yes, I'm old. I was getting ready for class when my neighbor across the hall knocked on the door. She was in tears and told me that one of the World Trade Center towers had been bombed. My roommate and I turned on the Today Show. There was still so much confusion and trying to piece together eyewitness reports. I had to leave for class, and when I got there, everyone was talking about what was happening. Our professor was already in his office when it happened, so we were filling him in when the department secretary came to our class and said, A plane just hit the second tower. We are under attack. The professor turned to us and told us to leave. Go call our families, get to a safe place, take care of ourselves. There was a lot of fear and confusion that day and in the days that followed. No one knew how many targets there would be and who would be next. Were major cities being targeted? Campuses? Government buildings? No one felt safe and no one knew what to do that day. I remember walking around campus that day and realizing how quiet it was. People passed one another with expressionless faces not knowing what to say. Having an active campus full of people in the beginning of a fall semester be completely silent was a surreal experience. I also remember how the entire nation rallied to comfort one another. No one saw a political party, just fellow Americans who were devastated and traumatized. I do miss the sense of coming together. We are such a divided nation now, and that contrast of where we were then versus where we are now is pretty surreal. Thank you for taking on this topic. Wow. I know. I mean, I think that that kind of hits at the heart of a lot of what we were talking about. I, I, I revisit those episodes that we did in my brain and it was such a complex emotional time. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm going to read this story and then we can kind of compare and contrast because yeah. I actually think that they're interesting uh, in the ways that they align and, and differ. Okay. And also, you know, different ages. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, this is a person who was... 21. Yeah, in college, right? And then the story I'm about to tell is a person who was a toddler, essentially, and kind of like how how those stories change and yeah. like how your impressions about things change. Yeah. By the way, I love that we have somebody that wrote in that was 21 on September 11, 2001, because I feel like we always are like, okay, we're talking to like the young oh, crowd. Gosh. We got to bless you so much. Like, I know. It makes me feel like, oh, there are people who are like older than us who are listening. I oh know. Gosh. It makes I us feel it. good. Thank Hi. you. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Okay. Uh, 
Hey, Keegan and Madigan, my name is Rory, and I wanted to share my 9-11 story with y'all. I remember only glimpses of that day. I was only three at the time, 98 baby. (laughs) So I only have about two things from that day by memory. I went to Catholic school in Manhattan, New York, and my mom was a teacher there across the hall. I remember my mom taking me from my teacher's classroom into her room where her, myself, and my twin sibling took refuge under her desk. I remember the lights were out in the entirety of the school and the blinds of the windows in my mother's classroom were drawn. We were all just quiet and me being so young, I didn't know what was happening. I remember my mom saying that New York City was under attack and she thought the entirety of Manhattan was being bombed. It wasn't till one of the teachers wheeled in a television that we saw what was happening. I remember on the TV seeing the video footage of both the towers on fire with heaps of black smoke bellowing from them. That's all I can recall from this day. 9-11 is something that has deeply wounded my family. My dad, more specifically, since he was only a block away from the towers that day. Mm. He doesn't talk about that day. After the horrific tragedy he witnessed, he has never liked discussing or even seeing images on the news. Yeah. The week after 9-11, my dad and his friends went on a bachelor trip to New Orleans. My mom told him not to go, and she was terrified of what would happen. Mm -hmm. I remember my dad leaving that weekend feeling really excited to go. It had almost been like he was still in shock, like the reality of what he had just witnessed didn't happen. Mm Mm-hmm. It wasn't until years later when my mom told us he had called her from New Orleans absolutely terrified. He didn't feel safe at all and was anxious that something might happen to him. He came home from his bachelor's trip early, and after then, he completely changed. The older I got, he opened up to me about 9-11. He told us how scared he was to leave our home after. He spent weeks just sitting in bed riddled with anxiety. He couldn't sleep because of the nightmares. He told us how he watched the people jump out of the buildings and just the mass chaos that ensued. Discussing all of this brought him to tears. I remember squeezing him so tightly while he just sobbed. I've never seen my dad cry, let alone be so emotional. It was heartbreaking. Since 20 years just passed, I knew it would be difficult for him. I remember my mom and my dad's girlfriend brought up that it was the 20th anniversary. My dad told us how his job had done a moment of silence for remembrance and he cried. He also cried while talking to a customer at his job about that day as well. It's always been a tragedy that forever changed him and thousands of others. All in all, the 20th anniversary sparked a lot of emotions for me too. Although I was really young and I'm hardly able to recall or even process the events, I found myself super emotional that day. In the years past, I would be sad, but this year, that grief just felt more intense. I started watching the Turning Point documentary Keegan discussed Mm -hmm. and found it hard to get through. Yeah. The very beginning of the first episode, I found devastating. I had to turn it off because it was just so heavy. More importantly, it just reminded me of all that happened with my dad growing up. Watching him suffer through the aftermath of 9-11 as a black man in America is something I always think about. It's something that has never been able to escape my mind now more than ever. The effects of 9-11 run so deep in this country through Islamophobia, violence, and paranoia. Although it is important to discuss the unity the country had following the tragedy, I appreciate you both discussing how that also affected the lives of Muslim Americans and life in America as we know it. Sincerely, Mm -hmm. Rory. Oh my goodness, both of you. Thank you so much 
for reaching out with your stories. I mean, first of all, I want to say it's unbelievable to me how much certain people can remember from their childhoods. Like I'm very similar where I have like very distinctive like images in my mind of things that I couldn't possibly remember because I, I was so young. I think trauma does that too. And that's what I was going to say. I yeah. think especially on, on days like that where the images are going to be so strong in your mind and that's kind of what it is for me too my memories are usually like pretty big things that happened like when my grandpa died and things like that like I have really strong memories when I was like three so I found that really fascinating um and it's interesting to get two different perspectives of someone who was like an actual baby still and then someone who was 21 and also somebody who was growing up in a family where that day was very much a part of their everyday lives for the rest of their life ever since that day occurred. Right, right. I think that the similarities the, the similarities and the differences are interesting in that, like, I think it's important to highlight that in both of these stories, there was a level of uncertainty that I think everybody felt where we didn't know what was happening, right? It yeah. was like, is this an attack on all of Manhattan, right? Is this just right. somebody dropping bombs across the United States? Like, People didn't know what was Is going on. Is it college on. campuses? Right. Is it here? Are we in danger? Right. And so everyone felt very scared. But yeah. also I think kind of like it is interesting to have those differing perspectives, whether it be because we're from different generations or because we're obviously we have different life experiences from different families where we tend to focus more on the incredible sense of unity that was felt. Which yeah. Which I think is, an, again, you know, an important thing to highlight. Yeah. Or... And or yeah. the othering that happened to an entire group of people. Well, and I think, you know, and both, both of those things exist. That's what I was yeah. going to say. Like, both are important to talk about yes. because like one wouldn't exist without the other. You know what I mean? It's right. like you have to be able to talk about the immense devastation that we felt as Americans and having that be like super real, but also realizing how we were manipulated and taken advantage sure. of based on our fear and paranoia. And, our emotions. and, and, that and those what, emotions were so yeah raw and visceral. That and they, what we were able to be like told right and what we will believe mm -hmm. and it, it wasn't anything I think I'm not passing judgment on anyone because no. of course I felt that same way and like I also feel like whenever you are in that kind of like high emotion high trauma response situation yeah you're going off of emotion you're not going off of like thinking about yeah I don't know anything kind of like rational rationally or logically yeah uh so I Thank you both for submitting your stories. I find these to be very, in not only interesting, but also like very cathartic for me. Yeah, like, I, I find them to be, um, it helps to validate all of our experiences and, surrounding yeah. this, this moment. And bringing up other parts of the story that maybe I'm not remembering, but when it's brought up, I'm like, oh my God, yeah, like I feel that too. You know, it, it is interesting putting all these different stories together of what is just like, one story of 9-11. It is very fascinating. Um, I also want to say before we go that today is the final day of Bisexual Visibility Week. Today is Bisexual Visibility Day. And our time tomorrow, or I guess, I guess when you all are hearing this, it will be yesterday. Wanted to give a shout out to all my bi babies. Happy Bisexual Visibility Week. It's done. That's hey, all. Madigan, happy Bisexual Visibility Week. I'm feeling super visible. Good. I'm glad. Feeling seen, you know, yeah. feeling seen. 
All right. Well, this was a very long mini, but you know, how long not, is it? I can't see from here. Full length, uh, but we're at fifty minutes. So holy shit! Yeah. Well, yeah, you're not getting a full length. So this is what you're getting this week. Um, but. If there is more things that you would like to do for us that would make us very, very happy. I mean, continue sending in your 9-11 stories. I'm thoroughly enjoying reading them. Uh, if there's any other news topics that you want us to cover or topics for full-length episodes that you would like to hear from us, uh, go ahead and email us at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com or direct message and follow us on Instagram at Angry Neighborhood Feminist. We have a Facebook business and group page. You can go to the business page and rate and review us there and chat with the other listeners in the group page. Last but not least, it would help us tremendously if you would please go ahead and leave us a five-star review with a quick comment about why you love us so much. It truly does help us more than you could know. So we really, really appreciate every review we get. And that's all we have for you today. With all that being said, we encourage you to rage on. Bye. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.